Government Man. Metamorpho, metamorpho, starts out in old Egypt land. Metamorpho, metamorpho, Rex Mason was his real name. Metamorpho, metamorpho, a soldier of fortune didn't care about fame. episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the zany Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. And today, folks, we are presenting our third Bob Haney Showcase special. I'm so excited. How about you, Rob? Tell me, Shag, do you bleed? Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I'm going to look past that and just look <laughs> forward at my Zany Haney. Yeah, I'm, I am too looking forward to Zany Haney very much myself. Hashtag Zany Haney, folks. You got something to say today? It better have that hashtag. Woo! Metamorpho. Metamorpho. I need a remix, somebody. Hook me up. <laughs> but as Rob has hinted, uh, we do have some non-Zany Haney stuff to talk about that we really can't ignore. Uh, instead of doing one of these episodes where we go, next week we're going to talk about all that, we're just going to do it all now. we got a whole bunch of stuff to do. So, that... Um, <laughs> don't make we... that sound again. <laughs> don't, don't ever do that. I only make that sound in the bedroom. But anyway, uh, right now, folks... <laughs> boy, they're going to love this lead-in. Folks, we're going to give thanks to our sponsor. It's me uh, pounding my head on the desk. It sounded like it. <laughs> this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. They're probably regretting that at this moment. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What do you got? And it better be zany. It is zany, and it is haney. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it is not. This, this book does not feature the issue of Brave and the Bold that I will be covering later on in the show, but it doesn't matter. It's good anyway. This is Showcase Presents Brave and the Bold Team-Ups, Volume 3, uh, 520 pages of Bob Ooh. Haney and Jim Aparo craziness. This reprints <laughs> Brave and Bold's 109 through 134, featuring team-ups of Batman and the Demon, Mr. Miracle, Aquaman, The Flash, and many more. And the cover is right. It's all you need. It's a bunch of cops about to shoot the Joker and Batman saying, stay back. Nobody lays a hand on my partner while I'm around. <laughs> You don't need any more than that. The normal price is sixteen ninety nine. In stock trades price is nine dollars and eighty five cents. That's forty two percent off. You cannot beat these comics. So, showcase Brave and Bold Volume Three. Awesome. 
I'm picking an oldie, uh, but a goodie. I've actually endorsed this one, I think, two or three times over the course of our history. So forgive me, folks, but it is relevant. It is another Bob Haney, zany, Haney, chocolatey goodness uh, by Bob Haney and Dick Dillon. It is Superman, Batman, Saga of the Super Sons. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Shag, you did that last time on Zany Haney. Well, you're right. However, this time, I'm covering a story in this volume, and I'm holding it in my hand at this moment. It is so amazing, this book. From cover to cover, there's a little story at the end that's going to piss you off. But other than that, that one's not written by Bob Haney, by the way. Uh, Other than that, it's still fantastic. 256 pages, cover by Nick Cardi. Yeah, I said that, Nick Cardi. Art by, as I mentioned, Dick Dillon. Murphy Anderson's in here. Vince Coletta's in here. Don't hold that against it. Uh, (laughs) Full color. Normal price is $19.99. You can get 42 smacking percent off and pay only $11.59 for the complete saga of the Super Sun. So, folks, please head over to InStockTrades.com, pick up these books, go up to the Contact Us button, let them know you heard it on the Fire and Water podcast, and uh, do some hashtagging Zany Haney. I'm telling you, I'm so jazzed about this. All right. Well, with the excitement of Zany Haney on the horizon, let's go ahead and drag it down with a bunch (laughs) of news. Well, of course, uh, much like how we covered the Star Wars uh, trailer last week, now there's another trailer to talk about, which is the Batman v Superman trailer, which was officially dropped, uh, I think, the same day as Star Wars, like that night, which is just crazy, geek overload. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to zip through these topics because I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I, 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 okay, I'm putting in quotes. I liked it in that I am going to stop complaining about the approach because the approach is the approach now. You know what I mean? Like we know it's going to be dark and yeah, it is continually <laughs> complaining about it being dark. is sort of like going outside in the rain and saying, I'm just going to sit out here and get wet until it stops raining. It's, you know, like they've, they've made this choice. That said, this trailer seemed to have more on its mind than I expected. And I liked a lot of what I saw overall, I think is, and was, this is what I hope is that this is the sort of darkest before the dawn thing. That this is the darkest the DCU is going to get, and then they lighten up for Justice League. So that's it's sort of on purpose. Now, if this tone continues into the Justice League movie and the Wonder Woman movie and the <laughs> Aquaman movie, then I think that's a huge mistake, and we're in for a lot of hurt. But if if the, if the darkness is sort of like brought to its conclusion in this movie, then I think it almost would be like a brilliant strategy. We just don't know, and we'll know a year from now. But from what I saw, I liked it. I liked what I saw. It was again. It, it seemed had to, it seemed to have more depth to it than I would have imagined. So I was pleasantly surprised with those managed expectations. That was a very nice way to carefully. <laughs> Couch but all I'm of being, your comments. Well, but I'm being honest. I'm being like I said. It's like 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 we talk about with Star Wars. I have absolutely no issue with what they're doing with Star Wars. None whatsoever. To me, every step I've agreed with. This is going in a direction that I don't want it to go in. But now that I know that it's going in that direction, I have to stop obsessing over the fact that it's not the thing I want to see and and judging on what it is. And there were a lot of really interesting images. That shot of Superman lifting like the rocket or whatever it was over his head, I thought looked beautiful. I mean, it reminded me of Action Comics number one. And it had that sort of like superhero joy to it that I didn't expect considering the storyline supposedly is so heavy and dark. 
So that again, that's where I am. Well, I, I think that's uh, I think it's great that you're being the better man. <laughs> that you've accepted what this story is going to be, and you're you're just gonna you're you're accepted that now. You're going to move on. I am a lesser man than you. Um, <laughs> well, actually, we know that, but oh, I set myself up. I actually talked about this on another podcast I recorded earlier this week. I, I watched the trailer same day and then talked about it on Stella's uh, Batgirl to Oracle, a Barbara Garden podcast. And I'm not sure if that'll be up by the time we're up, but either way, and I was fairly optimistic. I've now watched it several more times. And I've read a lot of online comments. And it's interesting. You know, you're right. Star Wars is unilaterally accepted by pretty much everybody. There's some fanboy nitpicking here and there, you know. But in general, the whole world's just accepted it and said this is amazing. This trailer is the exact opposite. There, it is, it's very divisive. There's a lot of people that are very angry about it. There's not a lot of people saying it's great. Um, that I've noticed is mostly people complaining about it. So, and, and sometimes they're all complaining for different reasons. But if everybody, not everybody, but if the majority of people are complaining about it, you got to wonder, why is that? Is it that DC fanboys are just whiny little, um, I was going to use a bad word, whiny little people? Or is it genuinely not the movie they want to see? I mean, I just don't know. Well, they, both things can be true. I guess so. Um, I, I like... The sort of like, you know, Superman's being treated as a god, and Batman is... Actually, I don't even know what Batman's purpose in the movie is. It, you can't tell where the conflict between Batman and Superman comes from at all. But I do like the whole, the public is sort of turning on Superman. That looks really, like, a, from a psychological level, that looks really deep and interesting. If they really dig in and explore that, I think that would be cool. I don't think they will. Um, I, I'm in the camp of people that don't like it. I'll just, there, fine. Right. I've said it. I don't like the trailer. I, I it... It is too dark. Um, I got very little satisfaction from it. I thought that um, Ben Affleck actually looked great as Bruce Wayne. Like I, the moment I saw him as Bruce Wayne, I was like, "Oh, okay, that totally works. I, I can buy that." So I'm okay with him as Bruce Wayne. I'm actually okay with the way Batman looks. Um, I guess I've grown on, on how Henry Cavill looks, but there's no joy there. There's nothing happy there, and there's no relationship between Batman and Superman to give you. A reason to care that they're fighting. Mm-hmm. It's I. I'm gonna see it. I'm I'm gonna go in going with my fingers crossed. Going, please, please be the movie. I don't think you are. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be excited when I see Aquaman. I'm gonna be excited when I see Wonder Woman. But right now, uh, I'm just not excited for this movie. And by the way, when did it move to 2016? What do you mean? Wasn't it supposed to be out this year? No, no. It's always 2016. Pretty much always 2016. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it was this year. I thought I, I was thinking we were seeing both of those this nope. year. No. No. In fact, it's been moved up. It was originally May of 2016. It was going to go head to head with Captain America: Winter uh, Civil War. Whoops. And then they moved it up. They moved it up a couple of months. We're actually getting uh, it earlier than they planned. Um, were, they, were they trying to camp on Free Comic Book Day? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It, it, like I said, this is a very curious approach they're taking. Uh, but and and if it doesn't work. They're really screwed. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know whether it'll work. I just, there was just more to it than, than I thought there would be. So I was just sort of ca- cautiously optimistic. Like, okay, all right, this 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 will be, this could be interesting. But, again, we'll find out. I liked, um, is it Holly Hunter? Is that who that was? Voice that Holly Hunter is the voiceover, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was good. I liked a lot of that. I mean, that stuff was really. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You hear Charlie Rose, you hear Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, you heard Lex Luthor briefly, uh, and you heard uh, Alfred, played by um, J. 
Jeremy Irons. I mean, it's a heavyweight cast. I mean, it really is. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good. But, uh, it, it, like I said, it's, it it feels like it has more on its mind than I maybe give it credit for. But but I don't know. I, Zach, Zach, I don't think Zack Snyder is the genius that everybody that Hollywood makes him out to be. So it could yeah. be he's one of the – I think he's a lot of times one of those guys that has lots of great ideas but has no follow-through. Um, and hopefully that's not the case here, but we'll find out in 11 months. <laughs> so. If you want to have some fun, folks, uh, go out to YouTube and find the Batman v Superman retro trailer. And it's the same audio track, but they've done it with Christopher Reeve and Adam West scenes. It is hysterical. I mean, I've watched it three or four times, and I love it. It's like, I get so much happiness from that. Uh, also, the uh, the Honest Trailer folks have done a review of the of the trailer, and it's a lot of fun, too. So, a lot of joy in that for me. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, movie news, uh, some bit of casting, other new, other casting news dropped, and that uh, DC did announce that the actor slash musician Oscar winner Common uh, has been cast in the new Suicide Squad movie, but they won't say what role he's playing, or they just have not yet said it. Now, you know, there's that, and then you got to think Black Mana is in Suicide Squad now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And you add to the fact that Common is an avowed Aquaman fan. He hmm. has he has said as much. So I wonder: is this is Common going to end up playing uh, Black Mana, and does that mean he's going to be the villain? Because it seems like they are using Suicide Squad as the launching pad for a lot of these later movies. Because you heard that there's this rumor that Ben Affleck is going to be in Suicide Squad as Batman. So, oh I mean, wow! Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I mean, and they're you know so. Uh, that would be interesting if that's what they're doing. I don't have any opinion on Common as an actor. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything as an actor. So, you know, I have no idea. But uh, that's it. I just – when we heard that news, that was immediately where my brain went. Where I'm like, well, Common, he's an Aquaman fan and Black Man is in Suicide Squad and now he's in Suicide Squad too. So maybe that's where they're headed, which means you <laughs> could have a Jason Momoa versus Common – Square off in the Aquaman movie, among other things. Well, you got to assume Black Man is in that movie. Yes, I mean so. Yeah, that would make that would make perfect sense. Yeah. I, I've got some casting news as well. All right. Um, the, the the new spinoff show of the Flash, you know, Firestorm and his Atomic Friends, they have made a new casting announcement. Uh, Franz Franz Drame, probably saying that horribly wrong, but I have a reputation for that, has been added to the cast of the new uh, Firestorm and his Atomic Friends, and he is the mystery role that I talked about a week or two ago on the show. I mentioned there was an African-American character they hadn't cast yet. I had kind of my fingers crossed for a Jason Rush character. That's not what's happened, uh, but it may be. We don't know. He has been cast as Jay Jackson, and as far as anyone can tell, there is no Jay Jackson in the DC Universe. So it's either a wholly new character or something that we're being misled on. And, and who knows? Maybe he could take the role of Jason Rush. Maybe they didn't want to cast a Jason Rush because, you know, there's already an actor as Jason Rush. Maybe they're just trying to pick someone else to be the new Firestorm. Uh, that's my hope. More Again, more than likely he's just going to be static or someone like that. But, you know, I'm still holding that hope that this guy and uh, Professor Stein would merge. This guy's got a cool look, too. I like him. He's got like a snarky smile. So he'd make a good Jason Rush type character, too. Uh, I watched the uh, the the episode with the Adam just today. Okay, which was a lot of fun. If you say so. Okay. You don't. <laughs> I, I, I didn't enjoy that particular one that much. The but. team up one. 
Yeah. It didn't do much for me. Huh, look at you being Captain Negative. Oh, my I, God. I am Captain Negative today. You are. You're very da- every Folks, you should know. He was very downbeat before we started. So, But I enjoyed this week's. We're try- okay. All right. We'll see you now when I didn't watch it. This week was fun. It was okay. good. All right. Well, I shouldn't say fun because there's some stuff that happened. And you're like, oh. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, what other things we want to talk about? Oh, yeah. Uh, one, of a, one of the nuclear subs uh, wrote in and asked, are we going to be covering Convergence? No. Uh, next, uh, I want to talk about Jeff Parker. No, uh, <laughs> no, I've I I've bought three of the Convergence books so far, and there is something about this that I'm just not getting. I just don't get it. I don't get what the point of this is. I don't get what like like I thought Convergence was supposed to be like a f- sort of like books talking about previous eras of these characters, but it seems to be creating its own storyline with the dome thing over Gotham city. Yeah. You didn't know that. Right. I, but I didn't, I, I, I don't know. I've, I, I bought justice league number one, Aquaman number one and justice league of America number one. And I just read them and went, um, okay. <laughs> and like Dave Vapor. I, I literally could not think of things even to say on my reviews. I had so little to say about them. So well, the, gist, the gist of it is, yes, it's a it's an era that's gone away, but it's supposed to be each one is supposed to cross over with another era that's gone away. So, like, uh, I want to say Speed Force, maybe it was was the Flash one, and I haven't read it yet. So if I've got this wrong, forgive me. I think that one crosses over with Fastback from Captain Carrot. Right. So you've got Wally West teaming up with Captain Care or fighting, uh, you know, Fastback or whatever. So that's kind of the premise is they're all stuck under the dome and two different universes meet in each one. So I had a bit of a moment of weakness in the comic shop last night. I wasn't going to buy any of this stuff. I was like, you know what? I don't need it. I know it's just a a holding action so DC could move from, um, you know, New York to California. Wasn't really supposed to be the big summer blockbuster. It was just intended as that, but it's got a lot of buzz behind it now. Well, I, I went. Ahead, I was in the comic shop yesterday. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I look down and I've got like I don't know ten convergence books in my hand. I'm like, what the hell just happened? So I bought them. I haven't read them yet because I was busy reading stuff for tonight for this recording. So once we get off the phone here, I'm jumping in to read convergence and see what I think. Hmm. Okay. Now I've uh, I've heard a lot of excitement for the Hawkman book because it's written by Jeff Parker and drawn by Tim Truman. So uh, our buddy Doug Zawiza uh, gave that a ringing, you know, got, was very excited about that one. I think he's reading it tonight, if I remember right. And then I've heard very good things about the Speed Force comic, which I thought would be not interesting because it's from a Wally West period that I didn't care for much. Is when Wally had his two kids. And um, apparently it's really, really good. Hmm. All right. So yeah. I'm, I'm willing to give it a try. So. All right. Uh, speaking of Jeff Parker, uh, we found out what his new gig is. He is going to be taking over Justice League United, hmm. and uh, I, I guess uh, one of the new members is joining will be Mira. Very cool. And it'll just be Mira, not Aquaman. So we're not getting the Mira solo series that we joked about on the show before, but we are getting Jeff Parker continuing to write Mira. So I might actually start picking that book up. Well, and we've talked about Mira being part of the Justice League without Aquaman before. Yeah. And, and we're down with that. Yeah. Um, I like Justice League United in principle quite a bit. I mean, you've got um, you've got Animal Man, you've got Adam Strange, you've got his wife Alana Strange, you got some you know Martian Manhunter, you got some pretty uh, Star Girl, pretty cool characters on the team. I did read it for several months, but I just when I was starting to cut books, that was one of the ones that went by the wayside just because the stories were taking too long to tell. Mm-hmm. They were all very much six issue story arcs. Mm-hmm. Like right now, this Legion story arc, from what I understand, is taking forever to get, get through. So, but 
Parker's really good at doing arcs that are satisfying individual issues. So I don't know. I may have to check it out. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, it's. I'm gonna. Anything that has Mira in a solo capacity as a regular, I'm like, I gotta at least give that a shot. So yeah, yeah I'm very happy about that. Uh, and then finally, the last thing I wanted to mention was on this show last week, I gave uh, Ryan Daly some crap. Cal Druncula. about the fact that he had pretty much sort of shelved the Dead Both and Spies in favor of the Flowers and Fishnet show. Uh, and I know that he's working on a third show, and I'm like, was well, he going to replace Flowers and Fishnets with this new show? Like, is you know? And then just this week, a new episode of Dead Both and Spies, the Star Wars podcast dropped, and it the opening features me complaining on Fire and Water about the fact that there's no De- Dead Both and Spies episodes. <laughs> On top of that, there's a segment featuring you talking about the trailer. Yes, there is. Now, when did when did you when did he set that up? Because obviously, it must have been after I made that comment. Yeah. Well, we we recorded our bit. You know, we our show went live last Sunday, and then he got in touch with me, and then um, I recorded with him on Monday night. The next night. Okay. I so. I felt as though that the whole episode was a joke at my expense a little. No. Uh, no. no I'm perfectly. If that means we get more episodes of Dead Bath and Spice, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. So it's just weird. It's it's twice now in a month that audio from the Fire and Water podcast has ended up on someone else's podcast. <laughs> We're gonna have to start charging. We are gonna really gonna have to start racking up some licensing fees because this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, at least people uh, consider us worthy of quoting, I suppose, I so. or at least be- or belittling one or the other, <laughs> something like that. So yes, so I'm very happy that there was another Dead of and Spies episode, even if it was done partially, purposely to spite me. So that's perfectly but, fine. It's out there in the feed, folks. Definitely check it out. Yeah, we spend um, – it, it's myself and two other guys, and Ryan interviews each one of us individually, and we just chat about the trailer, and it was very exciting. And um, he and I talked far longer than we planned. I don't know how much he ended up putting the episode. I haven't finished listening to it yet, but uh, it'll be interesting to hear. It's uh, – oh, I'm so excited about that trailer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, I think that's everything, right, all the geek stuff we wanted to cover? Thank goodness. Let's get to the zany Let's handy. get to the zany handy. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. And uh, you're going to listen to – first of all, you're going to hear <laughs> – you're going to hear uh, an ad for John Godwin's new Star Trek podcast. Woo! And then you're also going to hear what I can only consider a cry for help, which is uh, <laughs> this little comedy segment that Luke Dobb put together featuring our characters in some way. It, it's very bizarre. I, I tend to think of it as um, the Hembeck segment to the Fire and Water podcast, this little goofy little comedic thing. He sent in a couple of them. You're going to hear one of them on the break. So – uh, enjoy that and enjoy the uh, the uh, the ad for the new Star Trek show. And then when we come back, we'll get into Zany Haney. Metamorpho, metamorpho. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> hey, Rob. Yeah, John? You've never seen any Star Trek, right? Yeah. Well, how about we do a podcast where we review all the Star Trek episodes together? That sounds great. How many are there? Only 12 movies. That doesn't sound too bad. And 716 episodes. Wait, that's a lot. Totaling about 36,896 minutes. That's crazy! Or about 614.933 hours. Not sounding better. Or about 25.622 days. Well, we had better get started. Join our twice-weekly podcast, Star Trek at Warp Speed, as we review all of Star Trek. We keep each episode under 30 minutes to give newcomers like me a quick synopsis and review of what we're missing. And to give long-term viewers, like myself, a short review along with supplemental information and facts about the episode. Follow us on iTunes or check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Trek at Warp Speed. Follow us on Twitter at Trek at Warp Speed. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life.
Hey, you guys! Oh, no, it's Firestorm. Hey, what's going on? I was thinking we could go play, you know? Maybe do a show or a podcast or something. No way there, Firestorm. It's just me and Mera here in Atlantis. Ronnie, Ronnie, come home. It's me, Professor Stein. <laughs> Things are cooking up here, and your help is needed. I'm sorry, guys. I gotta go. Thank goodness. I was hoping you would never leave. <laughs> Me too. He's so cute, but at the same time, sort of obnoxious. Zany Haney! Yes, folks. What the finally. hell was that? <laughs> it was like an air raid siren. Wow. Uh, Finally, we got through all of the jibber-jabber and news we had to get to so we could finally get to the Bob Haney Showcase 3rd Edition. The much-requested. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we did the feedback for uh, Fire & Water the last episode, and there was a tremendous – it was like a groundswell of people asking for more Haneyism. In fact, there were a few, like, demands of certain ones for us to do that we didn't even get – we didn't even get a chance to cover all, all, the, all the suggestions, so we'll have to save some of those in reserve. But before we get rolling, I do want to say if you need more zany Haney in your life, and don't we all? Uh, you should check out two other podcasts, some friends of ours. Michael Bradley, who does the Parallel Lines podcast, which is about the Chan- Tangent Universe, one of my favorite podcasts out there. Uh, he did a show previously and is maybe considering coming back called Superman and Batman Podcast. You can find that at his great Krypton site, or of course you can find it on iTunes and all that jazz. Episode number 13, he covered the very first installment of Superman Batman Saga, The Super Sons. And he did that with our friend Emily Middleton who's the daughter of Professor Alan Middleton from the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. So anyway, Superman and Batman podcast number 13. Check that out. Get you some Zany Haney. First Super Sons. They could do a great job covering it. Then, a few months later, Emily came back herself and did a solo episode of her show, Uncovering the Bronze Age, as I mentioned, as part of the Relatively Geeky Network. That's Uncovering the Bronze Age number four, where she covered the second installment of the Super Sons. So definitely go check that out. And then it's my turn to flip that around and say, hey, screw y'all for doing those, because now I couldn't do the first two installments of Super Sons. So I had to pick an entirely different one. But that's okay. It all worked out for the best. All right, folks. Uh, I am covering Saga of the Super Sons from World's Finest Comics, number 231. It is the July 1975 edition. However, if you want to pick up a pristine copy of this, I'm talking the kind that when you bend the paper, you hear the crinky noise. You're going to have to go back uh, in your, uh, on your cosmic treadmill back to April 15th, 1975. So tax day, 1975. Go get yourself a new copy of this comic. The cover, which I don't have because I'm reading this from the trade paperback, but the cover is awesome. It's uh, the typical world's finest at the time. You know, it's got the banner head with Superman and Batman up there. But the the main image, <laughs> it's got Superman and Batman locked up behind, um, what, do you, what do you call that? Barbed Barb wire. wire. Yeah. And Superman goes, now we know why our sons imprisoned us. They've dumped us for Green Arrow and Flash. And you see the Flash running by. And he's holding Batman Jr.'s hand and, like, pulling him in his slipstream. Then Green Arrow's apparently flying at super speed. No, well, he's being pushed oh. by Superman. Uh, good point. He's being super, pushed by super, Superman, Superman Jr. Superman Jr., yeah. Yep. And uh, the quote there is the name of the episode. Hero is a dirty name. 
Because, you know, Green Arrow flying would be ridiculous, and we can't have any of that in a Bob Haney story. So. Well, sure. I mean, you know, at that point, he might just go, yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah. What, what, fly. For this month, he does, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, folks, this is a Bob Haney, Dick Dillon, Tex Blazendell uh, joint uh, edited by Murray Boltonoff. And by the way, that cover was by Ernie Chan. Yep. Tex represent. I was I so excited to see Tex Blaisdell's name here. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, oh, my gosh. We, I've heard you guys talk about him so much on the uh, the Cubert episodes that you guys my do. My former instructor. <laughs> yep. And, again, this is reprinted in the trade I pimped in the beginning of the episode. And I think once I'm done, you're going to need to go pick this up. So the story opens with a plane crash. There's a passenger plane that has crashed into a building. And, uh, oddly enough, I, they don't mention, make any mention of this, but on the tail fin is a Blackhawk symbol. How cool is that? I, anyway. I have to figure. I'm sorry. That was, I had to figure that was a, a, a just a gag by Dick Dillon because he drew Blackhawk for many years. Ah, that would make sense. Okay, very cool. So, the, so this passenger plane is crashed, and Superman and Batman. This is in Gotham City. They show up on the scene and they start rescuing passengers from the crashed airline. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a tense moment. They're trying to get the passengers out of the plane before it uh, burns to a crisp. But Superman can't blow out the fire until they're all out because if he blows out the fire before they all get out, they're all going to get knocked around in his whirlwind. It's kind of a clever moment. So anyway, they save everyone, and uh, they land the plane, and then the mayor of Gotham is thanking them publicly. They're having like a bit of a press conference. He's giving them gratitude, thanking Superman and Batman. But there's just a couple of, couple of protesters. Only two protesters, by the way. And they've got signs, and one says Superman is an establishment symbol. And the other one has a sign that says Batman is a faker freak. Well, the guy holding the Superman sign, it's got black hair and glasses. And the other guy looks like a dashing millionaire playboy's son. Yes, it's Clark Jr. and Bruce Wayne Jr. are picketing their own parents. Press conference. And what they're basically saying is that their parents are grandstanding. That's what their, their superhero gig is just a cover so they can grandstand and get all this attention. And they say that they're ignoring the world's society's real issues like poverty and war and hunger. And so, you know, Clark Jr. and uh, Bruce Jr. are, you know, screaming it up to the podium, basically. Batman and Superman are like, what are you doing? Back off, kids. And there's some super hipster talking here that I can't even begin to mimic. I don't even try because I'll just – I won't do Bob Haney justice. But basically the kids say – Superman and Batman say, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to prove we're not grandstanding? And Bruce Jr. and Clark Jr. say, why don't you submit to a trial? We'll have a jury decide if Superman and Batman, if you guys are grandstanding for uh, praise and, and attention and not really addressing society's real problems. And Superman and Batman are like, sure, we're on it. And they agree to whatever the sentence is. And I love this part where Batman goes, you have our word. And a superhero's word is sacred. And he pounds his chest when he says that too. It's awesome. I, I love that they are arguing that they're not grandstanding while literally standing on a grandstand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that was lost on Bob. I think it's all intentional. I think there's nothing lost on Bob Haney. <laughs> so they go to trial, and the lawyers basically are arguing the case back and, back and forward. And Superman and Batman are like, we have got this totally. Because both sides are basically proving that they're out there saving all these people all the time. And um, also they comment that the jury is full of, quote, solid establishment types. <laughs> so they're not worried. Superman and Batman have got this. Well, it turns out the jury comes back with a, a guilty verdict. And Superman and Batman are like, what? A travi- it's a travesty of justice. And uh, they make some comments about the jury being rigged, which are never followed up on the rest of the story. No which time. Which I find fascinating. What's that? There's no time for that. Right. This is, this is a very fast-paced story. There's a lot that happens. So 
that the sentence is that they are to be held in Gotham City Park in basically it's it's a corralled barbed wire fence area and they've got like a little cabin in there and Superman and Batman you know obviously they can escape from that so Clark Jr and Bruce Jr just basically get them to sign an affidavit saying that they won't try to escape it's like we're going to take you at your word because you're good people and so Superman and Batman agree to not try and escape from this prison and but there's no mention of how long they're supposed to stay there. By the way, for all I know, it's all eternity. I have no idea. So their their parents are locked up, and Bruce Jr. and and Clark Jr. go for a walk, and suddenly starts unseasonally snowing, and a bus skids off of a bridge, goes through the side rail, and flying off. Well, thank goodness Clark Jr. is there, so he flies up and grabs the bus and saves everyone. And as he saves the bus, Bruce questions him. He goes, "Well, wait a minute, Clark." Aren't you just doing what we just locked our parents up for? Aren't you now grandstanding by saving those people and playing the hero? And they're like, well, wait a minute. No one saw me do it. I'm not getting any praise for it. I'm just helping people, so that's okay. So that's sort of their their litmus test for when it's okay to use their powers. So uh, then they decide to go totally like hobo style and catch a ride in the back of a, a moving van, which for some reason no one closed the back. So they're riding in this thing, right? And um, and the totally lost my place. Okay, so they're hitching a ride in the back of this van, and they overhear the, the drivers talking about that they know the story behind the snowstorm. Apparently, it's some company called Tempo Unlimited made this happen. What? What? Oh, my gosh. Thank goodness they jumped in the back of this particular truck, you know, and got this the, the lowdown in this. So they go to investigate this company, uh, Tempo Unlimited, and it turns out there's this big conspiracy to fool around with the weather. And it's to help criminals basically to uh, manipulate situations so that people make more profit. So they, go, they, they follow up a lead and go to Midwest City. Uh, and that, then, they, they, again, they're questioning, you know, we're going to investigate this situation as heroes. Are we again being like our dads? And again, they said, no, we're not seeking applause or gratitude. So we're okay. We're not, we're not like those guys. We're not grandstanding. So they come across a plane that is seeding the clouds to, to try and get rain because there's a drought going on. Then they find another plane which is counteracting that. So there's some, you know, Tiempo apparently has arranged for this other plane to counteract it. And then they start being shot at. There's a great scene where they're flying in and Batman has to hide out and Superman Jr. is getting shot at. And uh, it's a really fun scene. Anyway, um, someone throws a grenade at them. And it looks like, oh, this is the end for our junior heroes. But a green arrow goes flying through the air and knocks the grenade out of the way. Thank goodness Green Arrow has arrived. So Ollie Queen is there. He's, he's uh, helping them save everybody, including the Flash. So uh, they, they find out a little more about Tiempo. Green Arrow and Flash help save the day. Meanwhile, uh, Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. accuse Green Arrow and Flash as being no better than their dads. They're just grandstanding for attention. And uh, they didn't, you know, Green Arrow and Flash don't really take kindly to that. And so, anyway, uh, at the end of that, they take off, and Superman and Batman wonder to themselves, wait a minute, you know, Green Arrow is a little bit like Batman, and the Flash is a little bit like Superman, the powers are the same. Could those have been our dads in disguise? So they go check on their dads, but sure enough, nope, their dads are still in their little voluntary prison playing chess. All right, so they follow up a lead, and they go to a Texas drilling platform, again, Tiempo's got a plan. They set some dynamite. They blow up part of the platform, which causes a tsunami wave. That's right, a tsunami. So Superman Jr. goes to stop it, and thank goodness Aquaman shows up. Yeah, that's right. King of the Seven Seas shows up. So they work together by uh, knocking over this. They basically shatter a – it's like a volcanic cavity or crater, and it it releases a bunch of water, and the two waves smash into each other, counteracting the tidal wave. Um, Pretty clever clever move. 
Meanwhile, Batman Jr. is, you know, fighting on the oil platform, and he's about to get knocked out, but thank goodness Green Arrow shows up. Woohoo! And uh, actually the Flash as well. So, again, Superman Jr. and Batman Jr., feel they feel a little crowded because this was their gig. You know, and here comes these old fogies trying to help out and, and hone in on their business. So they don't like that very much, but they did help out. So, again, they wonder, could this be our dad's? And because, uh, you know, Aquaman's powers can be mimicked by Superman. So they go to check on their dads again. Sure enough, the prison has been busted out. S- Superman and Batman aren't there anymore. But, oh, turns out they're just around the corner. They're saving some people who were caught up in a uh, subway fire. So so they didn't, they're didn't. they not actually out there. Their final lead leads them to an island missile base. And, um, or actually, it's, I'm sorry, it's an island. And there happens to be a missile there put there by Tiempo. And once again, Flash and Green Arrow show up. Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. work side by side with them. This rocket is going to go up and damage the ozone layer, which will drastically affect the weather. Well, Batman Jr. gets a little uppity and decides to jump the gig and knock out these bad guys. Well, unfortunately, he screws up the whole thing. They become aware that the heroes are there. There's a lot of shooting. There's a lot of fighting going on. So um, Flash and Green Arrow help out Batman Jr. Meanwhile, Superman Jr., decides he's got to stop that missile. And the missile launches. It starts going up. So Superman Jr. rips open the ground, creating like a a homemade or man-made volcano. All this lava flies up, attaches to the missile, and apparently instantly cools and makes the missile unable to fly. So it crashes back to the Earth. They stop it. Thank goodness. A little bit of argument there because, again, Batman Jr., being a hothead, uh, went off the rails and, and, and screwed it up. Then Batman Jr. just has it up, and he grabs Oliver Queen's beard and pulls. Oh, but it's real. And so um, they're like, hey, back off, man. I'm the real thing. So the kids have learned their lesson. They go back to their parents and they say, you know what? The world needs heroes. And you guys aren't really grandstanding. You're just allowing the public to show gratitude for what you do. And only society can really tackle those impossible issues that we said that you you weren't willing to tackle. So Superman and Batman are let free from their voluntary prison. And then in a complete example of super dickery, uh, Batman and Superman whisper off on the side and have a conversation about, oh yeah, that was them masquerading the whole time. That was them masquerading as Green Arrow and Flash and Aquaman, except at the very end. That last one, just coincidence, Green Arrow and Flash happened to show up for real. And uh, every time that the kids came by the, the prison to check, those were android duplicates, you know, playing chess and helping people. So, wah, 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 wah. that's your zany Haney, folks. What'd you think, Rob? This thing is like a fever dream. I mean, it's like they don't even – at no point does Bob Haney ever even get into the idea of who the hell the Super Sons are. Well, like that's... To, Well, to the average – like imagine being a kid not buying this comic regularly and you're picking it up and you're like, wait, Superman and Batman have children? <laughs> Look, what are you talking about? They don't – this thing is just – this – uh. Well, keep in mind when Bob Haney pitched the Super Sun <laughs> stuff – it was not. I mean, I think he, if I remember right, he comes right out and says, "Not imaginary story, not a dream." Right, right. It's legit. He says this is legit, and of course, you know, Murray Bolanoff didn't stop him, and so that's why that's why kind of the expression of you know Earth B for Bob Haney came about. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just completely bonkers. It just in every way. I mean, just the idea of like the 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 Clark Jr. and and Bruce Jr. are like they're hippies, sort of. I guess well, they're cool, they're cool mod kids. And have they're you never, mod. Have you, have you never, never read any of these? No, I have, but like just okay. just the dynamic of that they're so angry at their parents for no. I, just, well, that, that, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I you can't. 
I don't know. It's like almost you just can't comment on this because it's just it, oh, it is it's just like a, it's just like the rantings of a crazy person. Well, but it, like, but it has its own curious logic to it that only that only exists in Earth Haining. I mean, right. I love the idea of I love that when 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 they're giving the when they're giving the the, the the trials happening, Batman says our boys were fools to let us pick a jury of real solid establishment types. They haven't a chance of proving their case because yes, if there's one type of person Batman loves is real solid establishment types. <laughs> Well, I love in 1975 that, you know, Haney's still writing the Policeman's Friend version of Batman from the 50s. Yeah. It just totally is. Now, the whole thing with the, with the Super Sons was, yes, they're, they're the children of – I guess I should have mentioned that. i explain this on the front end if you've never read these. They are the children of Batman and Superman, and their mothers are never revealed. We know that <laughs> Superman's wife, the mother's initials are LL, but that leaves it wide open. Could be Lex could Luthor. Be, could be anybody. <laughs> Laurie Lamaris, Lois Lane. I mean, there's some other ones that I'm forgetting as well. Lena Luther. Um, Bruce's wife. Uh, is, her, is her initials VV? I can't remember. Maybe we don't know her initials. Either way, we don't know Bruce. We, we see the, the, the moms show up from time to time, but their faces are always in shadow or their back is turned or whatever. And they never refer to by name. It's hysterical. And, you know, Clark Jr. is half human, half Superman, so his powers are half. In fact, when they shoot it in this time, he says being shot feels like bee stings. And their personalities are kind of different. Like Clark Jr. is a little bit of an uh, upstanding guy. He's a little bit of like a book nerd. And Bruce Jr. is – the best way to describe him is rather than being like kind of the son of the Batman, he's more like the son of Bruce Wayne. I mean, he's he, he's got kind of the playboy attitude, in, in like there's other stories where he's just constantly you know hitting on women and wanting to have fun and all this stuff. So it's they're interesting characters to read. I enjoy their characters, and they are very Haney anti-establishment because that was the thing. Teenagers were rebels back then. You know, you think about his Teen Titans. Whenever the Teen Titans would bump into the Justice League, they're always like, "Hey, man, you're you're a bad trip, bro," and that kind of stuff. And so they are very anti-establishment. So rebelling against their parents make a lot of sense. But to do it publicly like that, you know, be the only two people, you know, standing there with signs of Superman and Batman, treat them seriously instead of just going, we'll talk about this when we get home, you know, and then agreeing to a trial. And then the trial makes no sense whatsoever. And the jury came back with guilty. Where the hell did that come from? I mean, it's, they even acknowledge like Superman and Batman are like, this has got to be rigged, but they never touch it again. What did like Bruce pay them off? You know, it was all I could think. Uh, what else? Um, well, I love that when they jump in the back of the truck, right, mm-hmm. and the two guys just <laughs> happen no, to be no – They just happen to be discussing Tempo's plot yeah. to control the weather. So then yeah. so then you've got Bruce Jr. climbing the scaffold – not the scaffold, climbing the pipe of the office. Mm-hmm. And then the two head crooks are discussing the plot by an open window right. that he can overhear that as well. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I said. This these thing these Haney stories have really their own internal crazy logic that makes sense only in the universe of Bob Haney. Right. Well, I love I love the way that he, the missile, which is probably like extremely hot from the rocket thrust going up, the lava instantly cooled and brought it down to the surface, which is hilarious. And somehow, just stopping that missile brought down the whole Tiempo organization. I, I, maybe they had an office there. You know, they just stopped all the file clerks and stuff that were working for Tiempo. I don't know. And uh, and then also at the end, what made the kids realize their error? What, what did they? Where did the sudden change of heart come from? There's nothing in the story to drive them to make them realize they're mistaken. Well, other, it, than, it was, other, other than Batman acted impulsively, or Batman Junior acted impulsively. It was page eighteen. That's what made them change their minds. <laughs> 
It is absolutely bonkers. And if you – this whole trade paperback is – I, I sound like I'm digging on this. I'm not. I'm, I'm more like I'm digging on it. I love it. And so take me – trust me. I spent a lot of years trying to collect these in individual issue form. I sought these things out very much so and had a lot of fun with them. And each story is – I wouldn't recommend you sit down and read the whole trade in one sitting. That's probably not going to be good for your health. Well, certainly don't You're, drive anywhere later. Right. You're better off just reading like maybe one story a night or one story a week or something like that, and you'll just you'll love the hell out of this. It's just absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and the story there is a story at the end of the trade paperback, not written by Bob Haney, which sort of cleans up the whole Earth B Bob Haney Superman Junior Superman Batman Junior, which quite frankly pisses off most people that love Superman Junior Batman Junior. Oh, you know what else is in here? Um, let me make sure of this, but I'm pretty sure there is a story that did not appear in World's Finest. It was going to be in an Elseworlds. Yeah, there, there's a story written by Bob Haney that was going to appear in an Elseworlds in the 90s or 2000s, and I think the Elseworld may have got canceled. I don't remember. Either way, um, so it's a new story that if you read them in the old days, it's in this book, and it's a lot of fun. But drawn by Kevin Dwyer. Wow. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, it's like there's so much. Uh, I don't know. You everybody should just read this. I, there's so many things you could comment on, but it's just stuff just happened. You know what? I, you know what it is to me. These are like the comic book equivalents of the challenge of the superhero super friends. Crazy stuff happens in that show because it has to. Right. It's and that's the plot. What, yeah, and that's that's what happened with Haney. I mean, it's like you know, they said the Superman Junior, Batman Junior go to find their fathers, and they've it seems like they've broken out. Of the of the pen, and it's no, no. They're just rescuing some people that got involved in a subway accident. But like this, this they're in the middle of like this green leafy park. Why is there a subway stop? Like what? Like the, huh? And like I said it's it's just uh, it's 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 an absolute hoot. And I'm telling you, it's it may sound if it sounds poor or bad because the whole Superman Junior Batman. It's not. I mean, it's so much fun. And again, if you like Zany, uh, Zany Haney's Teen Titans or, you know, again, the rebelling anti-establishment, this is great. And if you don't trust me, trust Emily Middleton. Uh, she loves these too. And Michael Bradley. So take their endorsement if you don't trust me. And you really shouldn't trust me probably based on the comments I've made on the show over the last few years. But anyway. This is also the lost art of Superman and Batman dressing up as other superheroes. <laughs> Nobody does that anymore. But back in the old days, Superman and Batman had just tons of costumes lying around of all their various <laughs> – fellow JLA members that they could well, dress up as at a moment's notice. It's kind of funny because, you know, Dick Dillon drew the Justice League for so long. So he's really got it. And I don't know if he was drawing Justice League by 75 or not. But. Yes, he was. I don't okay. know how he had time to do two books. Jeez, oh, I have no he, And he did more than that. He did more. He did. Uh, he drove Blackhawk at this time, too. Right. He's I, fat, I, he's I, fast. I, he did a I, good that, job, too. That must have would put him in an early grave. I mean, my it, God. It could be. It could actually be. Hmm. Um, so... It just I, I, when he drew Aquaman, Aquaman looks off. He doesn't look right, and I think that's on purpose. I think he's purposely drawing Aquaman's face off a bit because it's not actually Arthur Curry. I think that's intentional. Hmm. I don't know about that. Oh come on! You gotta give it to me. Maybe, maybe. So. I you said who can say what goes on in this book is real and what is not? <laughs> you know, like, this dude. Is- I'm flipping through the train. We're like, Batman Jr.'s fighting an alligator. And then they're dealing with, like, the Aztecs or something. And then there's one where <laughs> where Batman dies. And so Robin and Batman Jr. are total dickheads to each other because they both want to claim the mantle of Batman. And so they go on an adventure to 
to meet seal hunters to prove who should be Batman now. I mean, it's oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, they, these these are like comic. These comic books are, I think, written for and written as if uh, everyone who reads them has no long term memory. Uh, they just every every issue is just completely by itself has no connection to any other previous issues because it's just. It's there's no behavior again. We're making it sound like it's bad. It's not. It's it's delightful in its craziness. <laughs> Dude, the one we almost did. The Super Sons make their dads go with them to like an encounter camp to get in touch with themselves and try and work out their their friction. And it's oh my god, it's so funny. Yeah. That's, oh my yeah. gosh. Oh man, I don't. I we should have. I should have gone first because really the second one. The second one has is definitely insane, but I don't know. It I don't think it's. I don't think it reaches the heights of sheer lunacy that the Super Sons do. But we'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. Hey, I have a question before we get doing going because you're you're going to do a Brave and the Bold issue. Yes. Um, and I was reading the letters page of this comic, and they suggested a team up or a crossover between Brave and the Bold and DC Comics Presents. Right. That would have been the fudging coolest. How come that never happened? No, I mean the Superman is the guest star in Brave and the Bold number 150. Oh, okay. Which is the closest they got. But no, they never did like it. That would have been neat to do a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Part one in Brave and the Bold and part two in DCCP or the other way around. But yeah. no, they, yeah, they never did that. Yeah, <clears throat> That would have been know. so cool. Yep. Well, so yeah. So uh, my turn for Zany Haney, my selection is – this was from Ryan Daly. Ryan Daly, as the aforementioned Ryan Daly, Count Drunkula, mentioned in the pre, in the listener feedback from last week that if we did another Zany Haney, it had to be Brave and the Bold number 151 entitled The Disco of Death. <laughs> drawn, drawn, as always, by Jim Aparo. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to get into the plot of, of Disco of Death, which is from said, Brave and the Bold number 151, June 1979. So the story opens in the Gotham uh, morgue where Batman is investigating the second death of a, of a you know, seemingly random Gotham citizen. But he knows they're connected somehow. He doesn't understand why, but, but, but something's going on. At the same time, uh, Barry Allen and his wife Iris, Iris Allen are taking a private Wayne Enterprise jet to Gotham City for a little vacation. Yeah, for a little vacation. They all meet up at Bruce's penthouse pad, where Bruce is with a girlfriend du jour uh, named Rhonda. Uh, he is rocking the best Tony Monero suit I've ever seen. He looks fantastic. So they decide to go to a discotheque for the night because, you know, that's what Batman and Flash do. <laughs> go to it, a, it's totally Iris' style. <laughs> yeah, so they go to a discotheque. Now, what's great thing is the guy who is the MC at a discotheque is like a carnival barker. Eli Bryant. He's like, because he's like, yowza, yowza, welcome to the old Stardust. Dance, chillins, dance, which bears no resemblance to anything that went on in the discotheque in the 1970s, but okay, whatever. But am I right? Doesn't he look like Eli Bryant? He does look like Eli Bryant. Or Matches Malone. It could be Batman, too. So anyway. I I know you're doing your synopsis, but I got to interrupt you because you skipped my favorite part of the whole book. When they're talking about the discotheque, they're thinking about going there. Who gives them advice? 
Alfred, Alfred yeah. gives some advice on what the popular dance style is at that discotheque. The lesson hustle is, I believe, all the rage there. <laughs> uh, th- that, that and cocaine, yes, Alfred. Um, I want to hear Michael Caine deliver that line. <laughs> Jeremy Irons, you feel the rage? Do you feel the rage, Bruce? Um, so anyway, at the discotheque, they are getting down big time to the BGs and, and the various things. Now, in this discotheque, all these people are dressed in weird costumes. For some reason, as again, they do in discotheques. There's a guy dressed as a pirate. There's a woman dressed as Miss Jaguar of 1979. I don't even know what that is. There's somebody dressed as the Joker. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's someone else dressed as the Phantom of the Opera. Although here he's called the Phantom of the Stardust. But he looks just like the Phantom of the Opera. Yowza, yowza. Yowza, yowza. So later on at night... um, Bruce and Rhonda plants a big wet one on Bruce, and she mentions that, wow, kissing you is a lot like kissing Batman. And Batman, what are you talking about? And she says, I kissed Batman at a charity bash once, five bucks a bus, far out. Because, you know, what better way to raise money with Batman in a kissing booth? You know, sure, why not? So anyway. He has no idea what she's talking about. No, he has no memory of that. Yeah, well, he, he does a lot of charity drives as Batman. <laughs> It was so actually one of the discotheque and got all coked up. Right, right. So anyway, it's the end of the night. Uh, Rhonda and Bruce do not spend the night together. Bruce strikes out, surprisingly, which is in any way the most crazy thing Bob Haney ever wrote. The, uh, <laughs> later on the night, a Flash can't sleep. He decides to go on a patrol, sort of, as, the, as he calls it, a midnight ramble as the Flash. Uh, Batman is also, of course, out there being Batman, and he discovers that a third victim has been claimed – uh, the mysterious death – well, not a death. This woman is in a coma, and she's slowly dying. So it seems connected to all these other cases. Flash returns to the discotheque where he was, and Batman does too. And he sees that uh, there's some sort of weird, hazy thing going on where, where the Flash is involved in a dance with this very seductive woman who seems sort of threatening. Batman tries to get into the building, but he is stopped by a force field. <laughs> Well, yeah. Sure, why not? So Flash and this woman start dancing, and they start like dancing uncontrollably. And she starts saying things like, uh, faster, faster, I love it. And then she says, the jitterbug, I adore it. The Lindy Hustle, Tango Waltz, more, more. And everything's getting really out of control. This Phantom of the Stardust, who speaks similarly as to the, to the Carnival Barker guy, because he says yowza a lot. He's dancing with a woman who's – and he's putting her into a uh, – putting her into a trance. The Flash breaks out of the trance. He's in with the other woman by vibrating so fast that there seems like there's two Flashes because <laughs> he creates a doppelganger of himself using his – using his super speed, which is something he's done before. Then he vibrates out of the discotheque, meets up with Batman, and they realize – that obviously these are all connected, that these people, these women are involved in get, getting dragged into these comas. It's something to do with the discotheque. They do some investigations. They end up – their search takes them to an old abandoned <laughs> – an abandoned amusement park because Gotham City is nothing but abandoned amusement parks uh, for various supervillains to take over. They meet up with a guy named Guy Stanton who was the owner of the – was was the owner Stardust. of the, the owner of the Stardust back in the old days, back when it was sort of one of those dance dance marathon places. There involved it was a murder where this guy named um, what is it, what's the guy's name Jack Dawes ended up shooting him 
because he thought it was in, he thought the guy was getting involved with Jack's girlfriend. It's all very complicated. Um, I mean, I read the story three times. I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, some crooks show up. They try and assassinate Guy Stanton. Flash gets in the way, deflects the bullets. Batman chases them down, beats them up, and then they realize, okay, this is uh, that the uh, the case is going to end up going back to the discotheque. The Flash goes back in time using the cosmic treadmill. I, I, I'm I'm exhausted. Really well, okay, Batman's convinced there's a practical reason for all of this. Right, right. And he thinks it's the guys who shot at them. Flash is convinced it's a supernatural thing, and he's going to go back in time to meet the dance, to the dance hall where the woman died. Right. And we don't know why he's going, but he takes a Polaroid over. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh my God. So Batman, Batman beats these guys up, and he says, okay, scum, start, talk, start talking. What are you trying to pull at the Stardust? Why are you killing those kids? The guy says, you got us all wrong, Batman. We ain't killed no one with the Star Wars. No kids, nobody. Please, Batman, you got to believe me. We just wanted a piece of the action. That's why we roughed up Stan this morning. But that's it. Batman drops these guys off, uh, gift wrap at the Gotham Police Station. Flash shows Batman the photo that he took of uh, this woman, Emily, Emily Hanks. Batman says, this, this woman has a unique resemblance to somebody. Just happens to look exactly like Iris. <laughs> Iris, Iris Allen. So she gets involved. He puts her in makeup so she resembles Emily Hanks. And she says, Barry, I'm scared. He says, so am I, darling. This phantom character is something else. But we need you. And that dying girl needs you even more. So as the, they, as the, uh, the phantom of the stardust is, uh, is getting ready to punish yet another victim, the Flash shows up with this woman who he thinks is Emily. So the Phantom guy is all distracted by the fact that his his beloved is seemingly alive and well. Batman is taking care of some crooks outside. He throws some dynamite, knocks a bunch of the crooks out. This happens, and the uh, this this causes as well inside the force field protected walls. The Phantom of the Sardis starts to disappear into nothingness, as does his ex victim, which renders the girl who's in the coma to come out of the coma. It all ends up with a happy ending with Bruce, Barry, Iris, and Rhonda back out on a second date. And she says, hey, it's Saturday night. Let's go back and make the freak scene at the Stardust again. Iris is not interested. She says, no way, Rhonda. Let's watch it on TV. <laughs> again, I realize I've probably not done justice to this story. because it's yeah, a, I don't think it's possible. Because <laughs> these – again, these, these things have its own unique – I mean it's just – there's so many concepts jammed into 17 pages. Right. It's just un- – like I said, I read this thing three times. I still couldn't quite follow it. Well, there's a lot of plot that's just dropped and left. Like like the thing about she kissed Batman once before. Like that almost like, makes you think it's going somewhere and it doesn't. You know, there's, it's uh, – it, so yeah, I mean the confusing part is there's a woman in the hospital dying. But it's like her spirit is the one that's stuck at the – With the phantom, hall. right. Yeah. Right. Which is just bizarre. Uh, I love how – there's so much I love about this. So Iris knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, I guess? I guess so. I don't – that's a new thing on me. I, I mean there's no way she can't, but I right, never – she'd knew. have to. Yeah. I mean Bruce flew them there in a private jet and she didn't ask any questions about that. They're staying at Bruce's house. Batman's suddenly involved. She's suddenly in the Batcave with her husband. Yep. You know, so I mean it's, it's got to be. 
Uh, I love when they're dancing. You can, you're right. They had the Bee Gees because you can see staying alive. Staying alive in them. the background. Yeah, Jim Aparo did the lettering as well, like he did for most uh, of his comics. I mean, I didn't talk about the art at all. Jim Aparo oh, yeah. is my all-time favorite comic book artist. It took me a little while to sort of figure that out, but I always think about what, who am I happiest to see when I open a comic, and it's Jim Aparo. And he does such a great job here. He has some great, despite this story's inc- just goofiness, he managed to clock in a couple of really cool, moody Batman shots, mm-hmm. which was just great. Um, and something his flash, else, his flash is solid too. And, well, that's that was just about to mention that one of the things that, that occurred to me when um, you have these issues of Brave and the Bold that feature another JLA member that uh, that uh, Apparel didn't get to draw regularly, like Aquaman or the Phantom Stranger. I really was sorry that Dick Dillon never missed an issue of JLA that Jim Aparo couldn't fill in for. I would have mm-hmm. loved to have seen a whole Justice League comic drawn by Jim Aparo. That would have been just amazing because he does such a great job. So the best you can get is these little bits here and there in Brave and the Bull where it features two JLAers or three JLAers maybe. But uh, we never got any further than that. So, you know. But, I mean, yeah, his flash looks – he just draws everybody really well. He just he – Rhonda is like really, you know, like a very sexy. Mm-hmm. Bruce, I said Bruce looks great in his staying alive outfit. The, 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 the discotheque is great. I mean, it only ever seems to have only like 12 people in it at any given time, but what the hell. The Phantom guy is creepy looking. Uh, the scene of Flash dancing with the woman, and Who, she's. Yeah, who's that? Who's that supernatural woman? Like, what's that about? I, I, I don't know. Did you ever even find out? I don't, I don't remember. Okay. I, well, I don't remember. It's, no, I don't really say because she looks a lot like Talia. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, yeah, it's just, it's just utter nuttiness, and it's it's zany, it's zany, haney. I mean, it's just absolutely. Zany. I don't know of another writer that had this sort of gleeful disregard for like plausibility, or I mean, just like what the hell, you know? Yeah. But he makes it work. It's like you but said. It's it got work. its own internal logic that yeah. as you follow from scene to scene, it works. And he's such a great storyteller and he's teamed up with such great artists. You just – after a while – I mean sure, if you're a continuity nut, this thing's going to drive you nuts. But if you read enough of these things, you're like, you know, screw it. I don't care. I am along for a roller coaster. How did Michael Bailey describe it? Like – Sure, he's going to take you on a road trip, but he's going to make sure you see every giant ball of twine. Yeah, and every reptile house. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what it is. And it, part of it is the confidence that Haney, I think, just has as a storyteller. I mean, it's like if if you're trying to sell someone something, the the way you do it is is to show utter confidence in what you're doing. If you at all show that you're a little nervous about something, somebody picks up on that. And, and they, oh, well, maybe this guy. Haney has none of that. Haney just barrels through. And just says, you know what? This is a haunted disco. That's it. Now uh, that's the story. You know, or you know what? The the Super Sons are suing their Superman and Superman and Batman into into not being supers anymore. That's it. That's our premise. We're there's never any point where he's apologizing for the craziness of what's going on. And I think I think it's that confidence that just drags you along. Now I can only imagine what these stories read like to someone who maybe grew up on comics in the last five or ten years. This must just seem. Like a, again, like a fever dream. But for somebody who grew up on this stuff and other writers, I do have a greater appreciation for it now because it's just—I don't know—he's just—he's just charging forth. He's planting his flag in just crazy places and just saying, "Hey, man, this is it. It's the Haney flag." And you don't get it. I don't. <laughs> he should have a flag. He should. Someone should I mean, design a flag. I mean, for, for God's sake, the Flash uses the cosmic treadmill 
to go back in time in one panel. It takes a Polaroid. It of takes his, a Polaroid. Like, I thought he was going to bring her to the future or something yeah. right before she she dies on the dance floor. He takes a picture of her moments before she dies. Never mind saving her or I mean, anything it, like that. It's a hell of an ad for Polaroid that it can take uh, non-blurry pictures running at super speed. Right, because, yeah, no one in the discotheque saw him because he yeah, was going so fast. Yeah, vibrating at super speed. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just... It, uh. <laughs> and, like, there's a scene of Batman scaling a wall and he's got su- suction cup tips on his fingers and like seriously they don't even explain that you just have to see that batman has these because he's batman's literally scaling a wall straight up like spider-man and if you look closely you see little rubber tips on the ends of his fingers but he doesn't even say anything it's just there's just batman scaling the building and you have to just know well, of course he's got suction cup fingertips because he can't just do that normally way to go dick dylan that's fantastic a jim apparel you mean i'm, I'm sorry that's right jim apparel so, yeah. so sorry i mean it's it it's just uh, uh, yeah I, I now did Jim? You know, now that we're talking about Jim. Just got a question: Did he ever get a chance to draw? Oh my gosh, you can see the suction cups. You're absolutely right. <laughs> did uh, did Jim ever get a chance to draw the JLA in like Batman and the Outsiders or anything? The closest he ever got was in Batman and the Outsiders. It was number one where Batman quits the team, but he basically just drew them all standing around as mm. Batman yells at them. Okay. So no, he never drew like a full on like adventure, which is such a shame because, like I said, he is my ultimate. I think about who do I, who do I want to look at more than anybody else, and it's Jim Apparel. I'm not saying he's necessarily the best, although I think he was one of the best, but he is my favorite. I just never tire. I, to me, the guy can draw anything, and he makes every story look interesting. I mean, he has a panel here where Batman is punching a guy. He's punching a guy and kicking a guy simultaneously into unconsciousness. And it works. And it works. It's just I, – I, it's a, Haney and Apparel were a great team, but, but – so anyway, I, I, I think you're selling modern readers short. By the way, because I I really came into my own with comics. I mean, I sure I read some in the '70s, but really came into my own like you know right after Crisis, like '86, '87, right? And you know, really in the '90s, full on. So even to me though, there's just so much joy in these, and yeah. I I think a modern reader would enjoy this. You know, if they if they go in knowing what they're getting into. I think they'd have an absolute blast with this. And then another thing, too, we didn't mention, by the way, is just the whole acceptance of Batman being tied up in a supernatural caper. Because that's just mm-hmm. not what Batman does. You know, On a rare occasion, he'll meet the demon or dead man or something like that. But for the most part, Batman's all about a crook in the real world, and he figures out what it is and stops it. This is a crazy supernatural thing, and he's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, you've got force fields, you've got ghosts, you got cra- – yeah, it's all, it's all good. I wonder what Aparo would do when he would get a new script in. I wonder if he was, like, thrilled or just like, oh, Bob. Oh, I bet he loved this stuff. I yeah. bet he loved it, yeah. I mean, he worked with Haney for years and years. I think oh, he yeah. had to have just loved just that. Just because, I mean, what do, you, what do you care? You know what I mean? If it makes sense. You're just paid to draw it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I think he hey, just. He cared. We know for a fact he would jump in a boat and drive to a lighthouse. That's right. To finish these comics. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, this is one for the books. Uh, what, what, what issue Brave and the Bold was this? This is Brave and the Bold number 151. Perfect. So, you know, you guys, pick that up uh, else, and then go back and get World's Finest 231 or the Saga of the Super Sons trade and just have a ball with these things. I'm expecting – I'm not kidding. I'm expecting lots of social media comments with uh, hashtag Zany Haney. If you disappoint me, I'm never going to forgive you. And I mean that. I'm sticking to it this I time. think a better threat is we won't do another one. <gasps> there it is. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 
So, all right, Rob. Well, why don't you tell them where they can find a few panels and covers from uh, these issues? Uh, the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And if they want to send us uh, messages besides our, our, our own sites? Firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. There you go. And, folks, if you want to leave a message, uh, you can go to aquamanshrine.net. There will be a post there. Feel free to leave it there. Or you can catch Rob on social media on Facebook or Twitter under Aquaman Shrine. Or you can head over to where all the action is, much like that discotheque, which is firestormfan.com. Ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. That's what we need. We need a mashup of staying alive and metamorpho. You guys are horribly talented. Yeah, so. we got some musicians out there. We got, we got musicians. We've got dastardly creative people. Let's see what you guys can do. Um, anyway, so uh, all the actions over at firestormfan.com. There will be a post there. You can leave comments on that. You can also hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, all as firestormfan. And uh, anything else for the good of the order? I don't think so. I think, we're, I think we're, we've done our bit for king and country. All right. Hashtag zany haney, folks. Thanks for listening. And... Uh, what, what's our tagline? Oh yeah, fan the flame and ride the wave. Tell me.